Hello and welcome to Thanks for the Knowledge, the weekly fanbite news show rounding up the headlines and games and entertainment in one handy podcast. I'm your cowpoke, John Warren. With me this week is managing editor of fanbite.com, Stephen Strom, who chats with me about Monster Hunter Rise, 90s sitcom Home Improvement, and everything there is to see and do in Fargo, North Dakota. But before we get to that great conversation, let's get into the top story of the week. My top story of the week isn't a huge game delay or a studio closure or a bad April Fool's joke. It's a number. $450 million. That's how much Netflix is shelling out for the rights to two sequels to Knives Out, 2019's critically acclaimed and commercially successful murder mystery film directed by Ryan Johnson. Johnson had already been public with the idea that Knives Out sequels would take star Daniel Craig into other mysteries as Benoit Blanc, the detective who is constantly doing the worst Foghorn Leghorn impression ever. Uh, The first film was a huge success for media rights capital in Lionsgate, grossing $311 million against a $40 million budget. The film opened over Thanksgiving two years ago. For Netflix, this deal gives them some leverage against some major hitters in the feature film department, since Disney Plus and HBO Max have both recently been the homes of massive releases like Raya and the Last Dragon and Zack Snyder's Justice League, respectively. Details are scant about the deal overall, but Knives Out 2 will apparently begin filming this June in Greece. Ryan Johnson's other films include Looper and The Last Jedi. My guest this week is no April Fool. No, it's managing editor for fanbyte.com, Stephen Strom. Hi, Stephen. How are you? Hi, John. I'm doing pretty good. I'm what I would describe more often as like sort of an April tool of... (laughs) mm, no, kind of a this, backhanded compliment this, to myself there. <laughs> I mean, I I love now I love the universe that we've created where like April Tool is like a new spinoff of Home Improvement. Uh, and, yeah. like, Tim, and like Tim the Tool Man Taylor's like middle kid hat like took over the show. And did it's you called see that they're April doing Tool. that? No, fuck off. No, no, not not the thing that you described, but they are doing tool time, but like for real with Tim Allen and Richard Karn on it. No fucking way. Are I'm they? Pretty, I'm pretty sure that's real. Oh, my God. I'm going to Google this right now. The most the most Google uh, the most Googled segment in TFTK history. I'm, ne- I'm trying to never look things up in the middle of these interviews, but now I'm looking this up. If I'm wrong about it, you can just say it was an April Fool's joke. Um, I listen. Like I'm not seeing anything. Oh, here, hold on. Is Tool Time coming back? Assembly required. Reunites Home Improvements. Tim Allen and Richard Carn wow. for real life Tool Time. Yeah, you're right. Assembly required is a yeah. That this is absolutely bizarre, huh? And it's and it's like, did you know? Okay, this is this is really interesting. Now we've now we've gone down the rabbit hole. Mm-hmm, there mm-hmm. there is a show called Making It that had Amy Poehler and Nick Offerman in it. And Nick Offerman from Parks and Rec uh, played Ron Swanson. He is a legitimate wood uh, woodworker. They like wrote that part of his character into the show. Okay. Um, and so apparently Amy Poehler's making it and Tim, the tool man Taylor's competition show uh, are very similar um, huh. in kind of like what they do. Um, there is, there is kind of something uh, there conceptually that I like about that, where it's like, 
well, let's just lean into the earnest like interests of these people and like the things that they are actually into. Like how sure. like Steve Martin is just way into jazz. Oh yeah, like he's I, my favorite little bit about Steve Martin is he'll he'll go on uh, interview circuits for um like the banjo like bluegrass albums he makes and right. then like and then like he'll show up and everyone's like yucking and yucking and he's like I'm actually very serious about this banjo music and I'm not here to be a funny person. Banjo I'm music, just like, that's what it is. I'm like, oh, all right. Like, I mean, listen, we we contain multitudes. I think it's really great that people are like that. But it it is strange though, right? It's just totally. kind of a weird thing to see. It's, um, I think it can definitely cut both ways too. Yeah. Like there's like, we were talking about this on stream recently with like LB about how like David Lynch is like really into transcendental meditation, which is a right. super, super duper occult. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's super strange. I don't, I don't know. Like it also reminds me of when, um, uh, you know, Christopher guest, he, he like directed like best in show and, um, like a lot of those mockumentary kind of movies yeah. that, that those like, yeah, you know, all those actors basically appear in. He's like weirdly famous for being a person who, if he ever gives an interview is just like unbelievably unfunny and deadpan the entire time. Really? Like not really as a goof, but like, you like you don't get to see my funny side. You haven't earned that kind of right. attitude, which huh. is so strange to me. Like I don't know. I mean, I like I think I think like it's to each their own. I don't want to like I don't know judge people, even if they're fucking celebrities and whatever. I can clown on them if I want to, but like, um, but like I, I don't know. It's like I think it's interesting, but I also just think it's very off putting in a way <laughs> yeah. where it's just like, oh, all right, like even the Steve Martin banjo stuff. I'm like. Ah, you're like the funny guy. And he's like, no, I play fucking bluegrass music and it's very serious. And I'm like, oh, all right. I mean, I will say this for Steve Martin specifically, because whatever, fuck Tim Allen. But yeah, 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 yeah. For Steve Martin, like when was the last time that he made you laugh? Uh, It's been a really long time. I mean, usually he's in um, like a rom-com playing like. I don't know someone who's really painfully unfunny, but makes, right. but makes like bad jokes. Yeah. So like now he is a blue. Like I think at some point the bluegrass moon eclipsed the Steve Martin right. funny man yucking it up sun. Yeah, I I think it might have been 1991 that the last time Steve Martin made me laugh because like he was in that movie Father of the Bride and he did have a panic attack about hot dog buns and hot dogs and a in a grocery store. That scene was kind of funny in that. That's just real. Yeah. That's just real. Um, never talked about any, I, I love, I've genuinely love this energy you've brought to this interview. (laughs) It's very, it's, it's very different from any of these that I've done before. So I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. I'm very good at knowing a lot of things exist and knowing absolutely nothing about them. <laughs> I mean, it I it is flooring me that I didn't know about this tool time thing because I am I'm a person who like genuinely dislikes Tim Allen's entire vibe, but yeah. all, but has also seen every single episode of Home Improvement. Right. Um, yeah. Watched a lot of it as a kid too. I've I've watched that entire fifteen minute supercut of every time he goes in that show. Um, uh-huh. I watched that every year, um, at least once. Um I've had people tell me that I look like Richard Karn, which fucking sucks. So I it's like oh, it's happened. At yeah, least I just seven don't see times. It. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. I appreciate you telling me you don't see it because I believe you. Um, yeah, but yeah, like I, I'm weirdly connected to 
uh, home improvement. There's that, there's that episode. It's not funny. There's that episode. <laughs> it is funny. I know what you're going to say. It, there's an episode where Randy, the middle kid thinks he has cancer. Uh-huh. And there's just some of the worst acting that's going on in the show about like uh, staring mortality down, uh, down the fucking barrel. It turns out to be nothing, which is like really funny to me for some reason. Um, yeah, I don't know. That show is just so strange, but I've seen every episode of it. So, yeah, uh, not a good show, but not a good show. Crucially, not a good show. Yeah, I agree with that. Now, now, Galaxy Quest. Now, Galaxy Quest fucking whips. I mean, like that's legitimately the best thing that I think Tim Allen's ever done. Right, because he's just playing his real world self. He's just being yeah. a piece of shit. He's just being a dickhead. Um, and that makes me so sad because they were absolutely going to make a follow up to that, and then Alan Rickman died, and it's like yeah. that's it's just not going to happen. I mean, it's cast on that movie though. Oh, it's cast of that movie is fucking incredible. It's amazing. That movie is so good. The movie was like a million years ahead of its time. Yeah. Um, oh, oh, yeah. That, that movie's like pre-internet understanding right. fandom in a way that, like, I don't think people now get it yet. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah. That show is that. Uh, that movie was incredible. Um, we talked a lot about uh, a video game that you like called. Uh, <clears throat> let me check my notes here because it's got kind of a weird name. Um, Monster Hunter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. I wonder what you do in these games. I'm going to look that up at some point. Um, sort of like an accounting thing, kind of like, yeah. a, like a management sim. See, now like, you remember joke. Remember GameStep story? Uh, I do, I do. <laughs> See, but you joke. Uh, I, we, we've talked a lot about Monster Hunter Rise, which just came out uh, on a few different podcasts. There's a great review podcast that you were on um, over on the Channel F feed. We talked about it this week on 99 Potions a little bit. Uh, and I, I, you know, y'all have talked about it on channel F, I think generally a few times. So, you know, we won't, we won't totally wear this conversation out again, but I have not brought up on any show that I began to play monster hunter rise, uh, this past weekend. Oh, this Um, is news to me. Right. Um, now you, you made a, uh, a good joke about it's an accounting sim the other day. I have to tell you, These games are aggressively, um, aggressively hostile to, I think, getting in there and understanding those mechanics within about 15 minutes. Yeah. Like that, that, that is something that like I was in the mood for to pick something up and start to, uh, wave a big thing around and kill a monster. And it just didn't let me do that for a little while. And I I felt aggressively pressed on by systems that I didn't know about or care about, or it, I think that tutorial is pretty bad at mm-hmm. the beginning of that game. What what can the next Monster Hunter do? Because like Monster Hunter World was applauded for basically uh, streamlining aspects of the Monster Hunter loop, okay? Um, I don't know if it really did that, but it was applauded for that. I think it was I think it was like maybe a half step of, yeah. of what it could be. Yeah, I mean, you compare it to like a Monster Hunter 4 or a Monster Hunter Generations, sure. and it's night and day. Right, of But you're also starting from night, and when I say night, I mean like the dark side of the moon. <laughs> no, I mean like the cold side of the planet from Chronicles of Riddick, that where it's like <laughs> half of it is burning up and the other half 
is like a frozen solid. It's that sure. one moving over to kind of like the middle area. Uh huh. Yeah. 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 I I don't know if Monster Hunter Rise is a step in a better direction for that. And mm. and I um I, not to part the part the curtain too hard. I was probably in the middle of a fairly bad depressive episode when I started to play Monster Hunter Rise. So I think my like patience for those things was very thin. Right. But also. Um, I really wanted to like, like this game because I had seen people play it and I had listened to the podcast and I like, I, I, you know, I'm like, I like the aesthetic. I like kind of the vibe of this game. I, I, I think it's really interesting. Um, I love that you can ride a puppy dog and mm-hmm. you can, and you have a cat and you have an owl. Um, that's, that's all great. This, this game skipped me off of its surface like a stone. Um, huh. And I'm wondering because what I saw a lot of this week online were people tweeting things like, I can't wait to buy this new Monster Hunter and bounce off of it again. Like that's <laughs> like the big joke. And I'm and I'm wondering what someone who loves this series. I mean, you love this series very much, correct? Oh yeah. Okay. It's maybe it's like top a step three? under Yakuza, right? Yeah, like it's just, like maybe tied with Yakuza. Yeah, okay, for sure. So, like, you love the series. I, I would like to, you to take your critical eye because you're also very good at taking a critical eye even to things that you love. Um, and, and maybe try to formulate a way in which the series uh, ingratiates itself a little bit more uh, seamlessly to people like me who are like aggressively turned off by the way that these games usually start. Right. Uh, and it's an interesting way to put that, saying that this is the way that these games usually start, because this is the way that these games usually start. If you yeah. look at the grand scheme of Monster Hunter, sure, um, this returns to the concept of village quests and hub quests, which I don't even know if you got to. Uh, no, not well. Yeah, the hub quests I got to. Yes. OK. Yeah, um, because like that concept is not really explained in this game at all, but no, it's not. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. No, it's um, not. Yeah. And it, in some ways that feels like a direct response. There's a lot of things about Rise that feel like direct responses to some of the criticisms of World in a way that almost feels more nimble than it even needed to be mm. when so more so many people were like just getting into Monster Hunter because Monster Hunter World is incredibly slow, especially if you're for those like um, if you're from those old games, if you've been playing those old games for where it is. You start that game. There is a tutorial. There's cutscenes, unskippable cutscenes for that matter. There's like, here, go fight some small monsters that aren't real monsters in the Monster Hunter sense of the word. They then fight like a really easy one, watch some more cutscenes, um, <laughs> go do this. And like, you go on this very linear progression through missions in escalating power struggles. And Rise goes back to more the concept of, listen, if you want to go into the deep end, you could just go into the deep end basically immediately. Mm, okay. In addition to which, I would say, despite the fact that I think this game also has like more quality of life improvements to it than basically any other Monster Hunter game up to this yeah. point, it is also more mechanically complex in a lot of the ways because of mm. the wire bug system. Yeah. It was actually one of the things that I, as a veteran of the series, was worrying, like, is this where Monster Hunter becomes too complex for me? Right. Um, The idea of having to manage these special gauges that are off cooldown very frequently with the uh, wire bug that lets you grapple around basically like Mm Spider-Man. 
um, into and above and around monsters. There's a whole concept of the wire fall now, which is if you get knocked away by a monster, unlike normally in these games, if you get knocked away by a monster, you are invincible for that entire duration, but you are stuck in an animation of like, I have to stand up. Um, so you lose some momentum in the fight, but you, as long as you survive the initial hit, are fine. With the wire fall, as long as you have a wire bug charge, you can immediately cancel out of that and do like a midair recovery, like a fighting game. Oh, yeah. And yeah, and like that alone, like that's just one example, but like consider that sort of like idea of like that flow chart of options that anyone will have in a fighting game. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the classic example being like the, uh, you're, if you're playing Ken, all the flow charts all just lead to Shoryuken. Um, but in the real sense of like, you know, at any given point, okay, this person jabbed forward, which means that I have three different options. And if they react to it in one of these three ways, then I have these three different options. Like that kind of flowchart branches off more ways than ever in Monster Hunter Rise, which I got used to very quickly, but I'm also starting from the baseline of having played a thousand five hundred hours. A ton of these games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think I think there's a lot of it's it's like a strange mixed bag in that way where it's like a right. return to uh, form because they looked at a lot of the feedback or I'm guessing that they looked at a lot of the feedback on like how slow a world can be and how long it can take to play with your friends if your friends are a little bit ahead of you. You look at another game like Final Fantasy 14, which is another game I've tried to get you to play in the past, too, where I think we've had the same problem. Yeah. Uh, it's very difficult to play with your friends if you haven't played through the story yet because it yeah. just literally won't let you. Yeah, it just won't let you at all, which is strange. Right. And now Rise will let you do that, but on top of that, peppers on all of this mechanical complexity in the moment-to-moment gameplay that if you are not starting from a good baseline of understanding, if you don't even know the part where you're invincible when you get knocked away by the monster, how are you going to know the trade-off of <laughs> doing a wake-up attack in midair? You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, what hope is there for me that starts with a baseline of basically nothing? Is it just talking to my friends and getting this information from them? I mean, is that what Capcom wants for, for, for its player base to have this kind of like community of shared knowledge that this is how, this is how people become experts at monster hunter is that it's through brute fucking force and perseverance and like, and trying shit like is is that what they want or do you get the sense that like capcom is like embarrassed that it's this fucking hard for some people to get into these games i think it uh, i think it's column a to begin with and then has shifted slightly towards column b as the game franchise has become more of an international success sure um similar to the way again if we want to circle back to another favorite game of mine yakuza was a game that like they developed those games in a very particular sort of way and had a very particular sort of tone and then those games became very popular in the west and they got a lot of feedback from people who loved those games in other parts of the world and like a much larger sample size of people to then tell you tell them hey some of this writing around like your trans characters is fucked up and they're like oh word yeah (laughs) word yeah uh, and so they went back and they patched that out like they they changed that in those PS4 re-releases. And, you know, Monster Hunter hasn't gone back and necessarily done that, but it is taking a lot of those ideas. And as it goes forward, trying to address them in a little bit of a uh, way. I mean, you look at Monster Hunter World, Monster Hunter World basically saved Capcom from getting bought 
It right. was never going to like be bought by Microsoft or something like that. Yeah. And then world exploded and they're like, ah, okay, well, here we go. <laughs> never mind. Yeah. Uh, and then rise now is selling like gangbusters as well. It's yeah. it outsold animal crossing in, in the same period, which um, is absolutely bonkers because we were, we were, we were looking at, you know, it's like last year, this time the pandemic had just started and, you know, we all were kind of sitting here going, okay, animal crossing is going to do absolutely like banana sales because mm-hmm. this is like what everyone wants right now. And it did. And it did great. And then I saw the thing and I was like, Oh, it's outpacing <laughs> monster and rises outpacing animal crossing i'm like fucking word <laughs> what that's fuck are you wild talking about? what are you talking about um uh-huh. and i think it's just because like listen this, this gameplay loop really resonates with with a large audience even folks that like don't like this game even people that bounce off of this game like me go this idea is great. It is the idea and the loop and the way people talk about this game is enough to get me into the door mm-hmm. and and like I'm going to at least give it five or six more tries to like see if it, if it takes hold of me. Um, I guess it's like, you know, not that surprising, I guess, when you put all this stuff together and also pair it with the fact that it's, it's mobile and like you can do a couple hunts before you go to bed. And like, that's, that's the thing that people have been talking about all week. And yeah, I guess it shouldn't shock me that much, but it, it has that it's sold this well, especially compared to Animal Crossing. So. I mean, it ties into so many things that are already popular in other games, but then presents it in a way that has more tactical depth and like that is different than what we've expected. How many games come out? Outriders just came out today as we're recording this, for instance. And it's like Outriders is a loot based shooter. It is competing with 17 other loot based shooters that came out this week or whatever. And Monster Hunter taps into some of that idea of like chasing fashion and chasing loot and numbers and like making your custom build and playing the way that you like to play and all of that cool stuff, but isn't doing the same thing as a bunch of other people. Instead, it's doing something completely different that a lot of imitators have tried to do Mm -hmm. to varying degrees of success, but nobody has come close to dethroning Monster Hunter over these years and to the point where most people gave up after like a Vita kind of went away. That was kind of the last bastion of a lot of monster hunter knockoffs for a long time there. Yeah. Um, and I mean, in terms of um, trying to get you on board with it, I think one of the things that monster hunter does uh, that is very unique and actually somewhat animal crossing like in this way, in a weird, weirdly enough um, beyond just having like, Tons of personality. The monsters in this game, especially the new ones, are incredibly just oozing with charm from like toe to tip. There's Goss Harag is this big giant sort of like blue Oni that goes red when he gets angry and like breathes frost onto his arms to create like a big um, sword arm and a big hammer arm and starts attacking you with them. There's a big um, honey bear called uh, Arzuros, who in previous games used to like go to honey spots, like to get where you can gather honey for crafting in this game. He used to go to those spots and like pull down honey and like start eating it to heal. Um, now in Monster Hunter Rise, he has an attack where if you have honey in your inventory, he'll rip it out of your bag and then plop down on his little bear behind and just start eating it in front of you <laughs> and like, completely ignore you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So there's that's that. Amazing. Yeah, that's great. There's that like element of like just being incredibly charming and like because it is a game that you are meant to pl- replay over and over and over and over again, that charm connects you to the monsters in a way that I feel like 
transcends what you're actually doing in the game. Right. To me, it never feels like I'm killing a Rathalos. It feels like, oh, I beat Rathalos, this guy Rathalos, the way that I would sometimes beat Zangief in Street Fighter. And then, all right, round, then we'll, uh, thanks, thanks, buddy. Like, good round. <laughs> I'll see you again next fight. And like uh, in that way, like, like I get buddy buddy with them in a certain way. And then yeah. uh, like the actual thing I keep trying to get to, but keep <laughs> getting off on tangents. Cause I love this game so much, obviously um, it's entirely co-op. There's no competitive yeah. aspect to this game whatsoever. Yeah. And there is something incredibly chill and nice about that and relaxing. And because there is no competitive aspect to it at all, all of the multiplayer base in this game, everyone is incentivized to help their fellow player sure. at any given point because it just means that they'll do better with them. Um, so there's this kind of like chill aspect to it, too, that I feel like a lot of other multiplayer loot driven games just don't achieve. And yeah, like all of this whirlwinds together to create this entirely unique experience that um, you can't really get anywhere else. So when a new Monster Hunter comes out, it's an it's an event, you know? Yeah, it's 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 a huge event. And it's like. I don't know. I, there, there's almost discourse around how much we talk about Monster Hunter. Like there's almost this discourse about like, you know, how much is the media going to cover this, this game? Right. It feels, it feels almost like a, it, like it shouldn't be this ma- massive topic of conversation, but it's like Monster Hunter World was a massive, massive success. And I mean, yeah. Monster Hunter Rise is clearly a massive success. That one of the things that I think is, is also really fascinating about, uh, Monster Hunter Rise that you can notice right away. This game is a powerhouse on the Nintendo Switch. Like, isn't it wild? It is wild. Like they have Capcom. This team has got a a really uh, bonkers mastery over this hardware, and to the point where Game Freak, who did that uh, <laughs> did that trailer of that Pokemon <laughs> game that ran at like fifteen frames per second, they might want to give Capcom a call because. Yeah. Like there, these load times are are super quick. The net code to get into a team is unbelievably fast. Um, it is smooth. It is, uh, you know, it is a switch game. Like it doesn't look moment to moment as like breathtaking as say Monster Hunter World. Yeah. But this is, I mean, a, just a technically uh, like stupendous game. Like yeah. I've it, it it that that is not always a super noticeable thing for me or something I particularly care about, but it stood out for me. Um, I, I was wondering if it stood out to you as well after spending so much time with it. Absolutely, like yeah. it's basically a rock steady. It's not sixty frames per second like Monster Hunter on PC, but sure. it is a pretty rock steady thirty the entire time yep. and loads almost instantly in some cases. Um, the amount of time it takes to like load into somebody else's like multiplayer lobby. Um, I believe it was Gaijin Hunter, who is a sort of well-known monster hunter sort of figure, kind of a personality um, who was like championing these games on uh, YouTube for years and years and years and years going back to like monster hunter two on the PS two or something. Um, he had like did a video where he's just like, I can't believe how fast it is to load into somebody else's lobby in this game. Yeah. Or if you're, if you're fast traveling around the the uh, village, Kimura Village, uh, it's instant. It's literally instant. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and, it was really bizarre. I mean, even just, yeah, exactly. Moving from uh, place to place in, in the in the little village, it's just like, you know, the first time a, you know, hit, hit, uh, hit B to enter, um, 
you know, this area or whatever, or a, whatever the fuck it was. I don't remember. I, 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 if you held a gun in my head and asked me to name the face buttons of a switch controller, <laughs> I'd probably fail it. Um, but, uh, but I was like, Oh, the, this is the limitation of this hardware is that it's going to have to load me into all these places. And this is going to be a real slog. And it's not like, not even remotely. It's like uh-huh. all this stuff is happening instantly, almost to the point where I'm like, well, why wasn't this open? But it's like, it's so, it's so seamless that it is, I don't know. And it, it, it's, it, it mimics a more open experience than it is, which is interesting. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it, it definitely sticks out to me that it, that it runs so well. And I think yeah. that is largely to speak of like, you, you boot this game up and there is a big chunky RE engine logo on the front of it. It is, right. You know, Capcom working with its own tech and and getting incredibly um, used to it, which has is interesting for a Japanese developer in a lot of ways. Yeah, um, I feel like for the longest time, the the philosophy that you always heard about coming from Japan was in terms of tech, it was a lot of developers would just basically like throw the baby out with the bathwater anytime they right. made a new game mm-hmm. um, and rebuild from scratch. And that was one of the reasons that they had such trouble eventually um, competing with um, the United States when it came to game development and game development got bigger um on you know like the 360 era and whatnot. And then you saw a bunch of Japanese developers start to in a lot of ways, smartly moved to third-party tech. Final Fantasy VII Remake runs on the Unreal Engine, which is wild. Yeah, which is wild, yeah. Yeah. And, but this is, like, running on an engine that Capcom knows well, that uh, they've had time to to master and work with, and is their own, and they are getting, they got it running on the Switch, you know, and so they get to work around with that, and, and it's not one that is, belongs to somebody else, you know, and... yeah. I think there was mentioned in that Capcom big leak actually at one point that it was like a big deal that they got this game run that that they got that engine running on the Switch and they couldn't get Resident Evil 7 running but they could get a lot of other stuff running uh yeah. and it was like going to be a huge breakthrough for them um and I think it shows I think that bore out Yeah yeah totally it's it's a really impressive little game um not little to be clear there's a lot there um but uh, yeah, and as we discussed on 99 Potions and elsewhere, this game is not finished. It's it's kind of strange, but yeah, uh, it's yeah, little in that sense. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you'll still you'll still run into uh, you know tens of hours of content. But uh, yeah, they're, they're still got to patch some stuff in, which is an interesting approach. Um, one of the things that I, you you are of course a Monster Hunter expert, but I also. Um, I know you're a, a Fargo, North Dakota expert as well. And, yeah, um, <laughs> probably less so than a lot of people who live around here. Sure, 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 sure. That's fine. But I do want to say, <laughs> I I am going to, I, like, I'm determined this year to make, like, a tour around the U.S. to see basically all, all of the remote people that work for FanBank. Oh, that's so cool. So I want to go to New York, and that, that takes care of a lot of folks. And then I want to go back to L.A., obviously, which I'll be doing anyway. Um, and I'll even go to Miami to see my famous bully, um, Natalie Flores. Oh, of course. Um, yeah. But, uh, but I am going to, I will at some point come up to Fargo. I really want to. And, <clears throat> and, you know, uh, you're up there. Maybe someone else is up there. I don't know. I'm going to vaguely just say that and move on, um, uh, around that area. Um, and, uh, like what is there for me to do in, 
in Fargo. And then let's, let's, let's involve Minneapolis with that because let's involve Minneapolis. Okay. Let's, let's let's like, let's just meld the two because I have questions about both places. Okay. I mean, in Fargo, honestly, um, in terms of things, you remember the hit live action, um, film starring WWE superstar and huge racist piece of shit. Terry Bogart, that was his fucking real Terry name. Terry Bogart. Terry uh, Bogart. No, he's he's a national treasure. He's not a racist. Terry Balea, is that his real name? Oh yeah, that's Hulk Hogan. Yeah, Hulk yeah. Hogan. No, Terry Bogart is a national treasure. Um, no, but Terry Balea is a bad person. Yeah. Uh, um, remember his hit film, um, Suburban Commando. Um, I saw Suburban Commando in the movie theaters, and I also believe I had it on VHS tape, yeah. Oh, great. So then you're probably familiar with uh, his hit single off of the soundtrack for that called uh, It's a Nice Place to Live, But I Wouldn't Want to Visit. Uh-huh. I am. So imagine that. <laughs> okay, so okay, so there are so many layers here. One, just the, 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 con- the content of that song. Um yeah, it tells me a lot, you know, a lot of what you mean. But is it also that it's sung by Hulk Hogan that makes it, you know, kind of like Fargo? No, no. I, honestly, actually, okay. Fargo is pretty good um, in terms of like cultural diversity um, for the region. Sure. Uh, by virtue of the fact that um, we have a a fairly uh, deep uh, immigrant food community at the very least, because the uh, uh what do you call it? The cost of living is so low around here that we get a lot of people from different parts of the world who have moved to the United States. And we're like, well, what's a place where I can live that is densely populated enough to support like a bunch of restaurants, but also um, I can afford to live uh, and (laughs) where most people in the country cannot afford to live already. Um, And so you end up in Fargo a lot of the time. Um, So it's like great restaurants, a lot of really good restaurants. Um, a uh, friend of the site, Nikki Grayson, um, <laughs> once sent me a link to a Guy Fieri uh, interview where he came to Fargo to, to try Indian food for the first time and described the Indian food in Fargo as the bomb. So wow, if that, yeah, you know, if yeah. that doesn't uh, sell you, that's pretty- I mean, it genuinely does. Like, I, I love Indian food. So, yeah, that's exciting. There's a lot of cool street art around here too, because like, cool. yeah, Fargo's like downtown Fargo in particular is like in a lot of spots. It's just like it's just like ah, yeah, it's legal. <laughs> just do it. Just do whatever <laughs> you want. Because they there has been this like um, move to uh, sort of beautify downtown in a lot of ways sure. um, lately and make it more interesting and more of like a more of a place and in a lot of good ways actually. Like a lot of like good free parking and like bicycle parking and areas for that and stuff like that and. A way that feels like so totally at odds with the city that I knew growing up in a way that I'm like, how the fuck did this happen <laughs> sometimes? Yeah, right. Um, yeah. But if you go to like the fucking uh, Fargo Moorhead, which anytime you come to Fargo, you got to understand that Fargo, West Fargo and Moorhead are basically one large city as well. The, sure. the sort of tri-city area. That's the FM area. People like to call it. Wow. Um, I'm so learning if you, so much. Yeah. That's what I'm here for, you know? Yeah. Um, if you go to FargoMoorhead.org, there's a whole section on it that's just like, here's all the street art. Like, the official thing is just like, here's a bunch of the street art in the city. And like, wow, we love it and we encourage it. And we just have a bunch of open spaces where people are allowed to do graffiti and street art as much as they possibly want. And wow. we're proud of it. 
I mean, are there guidelines? Like, could I just like do graffiti a butthole on the side of a building, or is that like, yeah, or is it really? Is it is it just Outback Steakhouse? Like, no rules, just right. You know, I'm I've been looking at some of the official pictures on here. I'm you know the thing is that like you know you allow people to do stuff like that, and somebody's going to do that, and I bet they have people <laughs> <Yeah>. on deck <laughs> to cover it up with uh, other stuff. Is probably how that works. Yeah, no, I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not part of the city planning uh, yeah. planning committee. Yeah, that would be that would be interesting. Do you um, want to tie it to video games? I did send you an image. Yeah, you of, did. We have a big mural that's just the like Super Mario One One painted on a wall here, which is kind of cool. Which is kind of cool. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, it looks neat. Yeah. I don't know. It's 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 interesting. And you've never seen the movie, correct? Never seen the movie. Never seen the TV series. That's amazing. Is that like common? Like, are people kind of resentful of the idea that? Fargo's kind of on the map because of this fucking Coen Brothers movie. I don't think so. Most okay. people I know have seen at least the TV series. People who are like care about TV around here like have seen the TV series. TV show is good. I would yeah. argue the TV show is better than the movie, but yeah, I believe that. Yeah. 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 Um, we also have um, there's a nice theater downtown in downtown Fargo. Um, that is the it's the Fargo Theater and it's um like a classical like uh where they used to like hold plays and they still do they hold live events and stuff there too right. but it's like old school big sort of curtains that they can draw and pull out like big balcony and everything um where they now show a bunch of movies a lot of the time and usually it's like indie movies and art films and stuff like that That's um funny. and they have a big wooden statue of the lady from Fargo the movie um, that has been sculpted with a chainsaw out of a big giant log. So wow. somebody is proud of that movie. All right. I feel like I've told that story before, but you know, no, for people not, who might not, not be familiar. Me. Yeah. Um, um, well, that's fascinating. So if I wanted to uh, dip over the border over into um, the twin cities. Mm, yeah. 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 Uh, have you ever ridden the road roller coaster in the mall? Yeah, I've been to the. I was to, at the mall a number of times when I was a kid, and I keep thinking like I, I definitely remember taking some kind of ride, and I'm like I have to remind myself: Do they have multiple rides at the Mall of America? I, I can't I remember. Know. I'm yeah. pretty sure I have. Yeah, I'm not sure. My only experience at the Mall of America is the beginning five minutes of Mighty Ducks two, where mm. all the where all of the children, uh, because that that movie takes place in Minneapolis, St. Paul. And yeah, yeah. Uh, and or at least like parts a of facsimile. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, they rollerblade through the Mall of America while they like find each other because they're going to go, uh, I don't know, quack at Emilio Estevez or something. I don't fucking remember. But uh, no, that's right. That's right. And <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, they just go through the Mall of America and they create mischief. But then there's also the roller coaster. And ever since I was a kid, I saw a roller coaster inside. And I'm like, I want to ride that roller coaster at the Mall of America. It's so, cool. Yeah. It is. A, it is a cool roller coaster. It's a Mall of America. And generally is cool just to like see. You ever see the Carl Urban Dread movie? I did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What if there was like a nice version of the building that that movie takes place? In? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I want to go there. That sounds great. And like with COVID, it might be like the Dread. Building. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's so inside. Everyone's inside. There's just like tape everywhere and signs uh -huh. and just like destruction. Um, yeah. Cersei is uh, running the whole operation because nobody, <laughs> there's no law anymore to tell her no. 
She's just running rough shot. You know, she's calling. I'm I'm the only one who could ride the roller coaster inside. <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't know. I I want to do that. Is there anything else worth doing in Minneapolis, St. Paul, or like, are you kind of like I don't really fucking know. I don't care. I mean, there it, it depends on what you're into. If you're into yeah. sports, um, two two big sports cities for very different teams. Yeah, that's true. You know, um, the Vikings not a good team. Not lately. Nope. No, but if you like the Vikings, um, that's where you go is you yeah. go to Minneapolis. It's a good stadium. Uh, it's a cool new stadium. It's, I do it's a great that. stadium. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Fargo, you got um, NDSU, which is obviously a huge college uh, yeah. where I went to school for five years Ay. and got my journalism degree. Um, they have a really, at least the last time I was there, I don't know if it's still fucking open, but they had a really good uh, Philly cheesesteak place that I used to go to get oh, lunch my. all the time. Yeah. Love me uh, Philly cheesesteak. Yeah, that was good stuff. Um, yeah. I miss, you know, remember eating food at places? I do, I do. <laughs> I remember it well. I'm going to get my second vacky in four days. Nice. And I, I listen, I hope everyone is safe and still stays safe and whatever. I got to tell you, I'm probably going to go eat a meal like pretty soon, which I'm yeah. pretty excited about. I think um, they were they were coming out and saying that like the two dose ones, if you like, Two yeah. weeks afterwards, you're like 90% good, yeah. like and not just for not just for symptoms and disease, but for like infection. Carrying it, right. Yeah. So that's so. it's exciting. So, yeah, I do remember eating places and I uh, I long for it and it will return soon. And I'm happy yeah. about that. Um, uh, There's really good comic book shops around. I used to work okay. at one for okay. a long time um, okay. this, in Minneapolis, if, uh, St. Paul and the Twin Cities. I forget which side of the that particular border it's on, but it's in that area. Uh, there's a good place called The Source, which is a really nice comic book shop full of a bunch of different uh, games and things that you can check out. A lot of okay. good game nights in that capacity if you're into board games and getting into that sort of thing. Nice. I'm just uh, excited. I'm just excited for around here because there's a... Uh, uh, there's an anime cafe and it's just called the anime cafe and it's yeah. just like a place that it's called the anime cafe and it's run by uh, uh, a lady who started it with her mom and I think she was like 15 mm. when she started doing it and now you know it's like years later but uh, you know that's just been closed forever but I saw it once and I'm like well when everything opens I'm gonna go to the anime cafe <laughs> that sounds like fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm excited to visit and eat Indian food with you. That sounds fun. Yeah. We'll go um, get Indian food. We'll go watch a play at Trollwood park. We should do that. that go to the great plains good. art museum. Okay. I'm, I'm just actually running down real things. <laughs> I know. I, I believe I, I, all of that seems real and true. <laughs> couldn't have convinced me more than you believe me john <laughs> no i do um i mean like I, you know someone visited here the other uh, uh like not that long ago and we were like let's go to the crystal bridges art museum and they thought we were like fucking with them and i'm like no it's what's what it's called it's really it's yeah the the waltons run it which is kind of a bummer but it's a nice oh. museum um but uh but yeah um Steven. Oh, what? Okay. Well, hmm. What's up? Okay. Well, hmm. (laughs) now, hmm. how else can you honor the life of celebrated (laughs) artist Vincent van Gogh without a 
big giant. I don't even know what these things are it's made of. They're bu- all over town. It's a buffalo. Huh? It's a bison. It's a bison. To like to like NDSU. Like and bison. it's just it's just the body is Starry Night and the face yeah. is Vincent Van Gogh, but it's distorted because it has to fit this bison. Because it is a bison face. It is a bison face. And so he's, he's Nigel got- Thornberry nose. <laughs> it's Nigel Thornberry. That's true. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and Crop. The, I'm going to capture <laughs> this image, so um, so uh, Paul can put this on the thumbnail for us. Thank you, Paul. Um, wow, um, Stephen, I really appreciate you uh, hanging out with me and talking about Monster Hunter, and also showing me the worst fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, you know what, John? Those are the only two things I'm good at. So thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, you know, you could be you could be like good at worse stuff. I mean, that's pretty yeah, good. That's no, a pretty totally. good combo. Um, if folks want to find you online, where can they do that? You can go to twitter.com slash Steven Strum to follow me on Twitter. And you can uh, do me a favor and go read a bunch of my stuff on fanbyte.com. You should definitely do that. And you should also check out other podcasts, including the channel F podcast, which Steven is on and also 99 potions, which Steven is on uh, with me and our featured contributor, Natalie Flores. Um, That's our RPG podcast. And we have a a very good time every week making that show. Um, uh, You know what? I'm going to, I'm just going to look at this uh, photo of uh, the Vincent Van Gogh bison and um, drift out of consciousness. So, bye. Let's do a games roundup, shall we? CD Projekt released patch 1.2 for Cyberpunk 2077 this week alongside the longest single patch notes document I think I've ever seen. You can check out the entire list on their website, but for some brief notes and discussion of the topic, you can check out this week's episode of 99 Potions, our wonderful RPG podcast. Uh, Besides a massive game update, CD Projekt has been pretty busy. They released some roadmap details for the next year, including a commitment to launch the next-gen improvements patch for The Witcher 3, as well as some downloadable content for uh, Cyberpunk 2077. The multiplayer mode for Cyberpunk is still in progress, but the release window for this is very unclear at this point. The company also made a commitment to show every version of every game they release going forward, hoping to avoid the embarrassing and mishandled launch of Cyberpunk 2077, which saw the PC version get pretty positive reviews at launch because it was the only version of the game anyone was allowed to play ahead of time. Uh, The console version of the game was in shambles at launch, so much so that the PlayStation Store pulled the game from its digital digital shelves and, as of this recording, has not put it back up for sale. CD Projekt also purchased frequent collaborator studio uh, Digital Scapes, a production house based in Vancouver that has also worked on uh, Dying Light and Dead Rising in addition to Cyberpunk 2077. Uh, What's the point of buying Digital Escapes? You may may ask. Parallel development, says CD Projekt, implying that we may see some tandem development of Cyberpunk 2077 updates, as well as a possible follow-up to The Witcher 3. No Man's Sky is getting an update called Expeditions, which allows cooperative play between you and friends, putting you on the same planet, having your group tackle different objectives together. The game has changed a ton since coming out in 2016 and has improved in major ways every few months and this patch takes the game from a solitary experience to a very easy to manage cooperative experience if that's what you're into the patch will also include some quality of life improvements 
Uh, finally, two quick Sony bits. Genshin Impact will launch a PS5 version of the game this spring with improved visuals, load times, and of course, DualSense support. The open world gacha game has made over a billion dollars in revenue since launching last year. That's wild. Uh, if you want to check out uh, another PS5 game even sooner, you can grab Oddworld Soulstorm for free if you're a PlayStation Plus member starting April 6th. Hey, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the show. I want to thank Stephen Strom for hanging out, talking to me about their hometown uh, and Monster Hunter and <laughs> Tim Allen, I guess. Uh, and if you want to check out uh, their Twitter, you can do so over at Stephen Strom. You can check out Paul Tamayo's Twitter, our wonderful producer at Polly Mayo. You can check out my Twitter at floppy adult if you want to check out all of our podcasts you can do so at podcastnet.work and until next week you're welcome 